Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. My friends who listen to Future Primitive, I'm extremely grateful to be on the phone with James O.D. James O.D. is the lead faculty for the Shift Network's Peace Ambassador Training with hundreds of international participants. These trainings are ongoing. His path of the Peacemaker course attracted students from 24 countries. He is on the extended faculty of the Institute of Noetic Sciences and is its former president. He is also the former Washington office director of Amnesty International and CEO of the, the SEVA Foundation. James is a member of the board of directors of the Temple of the Universe in Florida and an advisory board member of the Peace Alliance, as well as advisor to Cosmos Journal. His book, Creative Stress, A Path for Evolving Souls Living Through Personal and Planetary Upheaval, was featured in dozens of media outlets. He has recently published a book called Cultivating Peace, Becoming a 21st Century Peace Ambassador. And it has been heralded as a brilliant new roadmap for peace building by leaders, academics, and activists. So this is precious time, James, And so I really want to start with a question that I think a lot of people have at this time, which is, I feel absolutely overwhelmed by uh, the news that is coming to us from many places in the world. And so I'd like to ask you, please guide us in a way to be aware of what's going on, but yet be present with what we can do? Well, that's a big one. (laughs) You know, I think the first thing we must do is see the distortion as distortion and how graphically distorted it is. I think that's part of the equation at the moment, that that which is distorted, more people see and see intensely how out of alignment it is. And we remind ourselves that our prophets and masters and teachers were part of the reality. They were part of the breaking of the illusion. They were the embodiment of truth. You know, Muhammad, who's sort of become relegated to some sort of fanatical woman-hater, you know, deadbeat kind of character. It was a 
very chivalrous person. He always protected the rights of women. He was invited into marriage by an older, wealthy woman. So she had the power, and she invited him of little means into this relationship with her. How about that? That's a very, very different image than the misogynistic approach of fundamentalist Islam. Or let's take Jesus. You know, Jesus was the one who turned the water into wine so that people could have wine at the wedding and celebrate and be cheerful. So, and of course, that's just a very superficial touch-in to those great masters. All the masters really have a fundamental truth that is part of the embodiment of the one truth of all. And so we who are finding our way to alignment with that one truth that serves all, that is the uniting force on planet Earth, that is the true source of our evolutionary wisdom, you know, are in shock and horror and dismay at the degree to which the distortion exists, whether it's in violence, whether it's in greed, whether it's in denial. I mean, to, to deny climate science when 98% of the world scientists are telling us we have got to urgently respond is a distortion. And so there's not a lot to sort of cheer you up over breakfast or whatever mm -hmm. time of day you'll be listening to us. But it is, in fact, part of the reality that things unwind to this level of distortion until the, gra the lie is graphic, until the majority of people see the lie and the distortion and, and it works its way out of the system. It seems a long and arduous and painful journey for humanity, does it not, China? It seems that we have to go through this. When somebody the other day was getting into very sort of anti-Islamic uh, tirade with me mm -hmm. about women and so on, I said, well, think of the Inquisition. Think of what the Christian faith did to women. Think of the suffering, the burning, mm -hmm. the hunting down for intelligence, evolutionary thinking women. Think of the fundamentalism of those days. And we have worked through those. So I, I do believe that there are kind of stages of development and truth that for some reason we have to work through. Outlined, I would say, pretty thoughtfully in the work of Don Beck and Cohen, what is referred to as spiral dynamics. <laughs> so um, how do you suggest, James, that we address the distortions within ourselves? I mean, we have been programmed with uh, one belief system or another, 
how do we how do we correct these distortions within ourselves? Well, that's a lifetime of work and requires us going through levels, sort of journeying in knowledge. And I think part of our evolutionary story is to journey in awakening knowledge. But when my first sort of, if you think of conflict, you might ask yourself, when I enter a room, when I enter the office, when I enter the dynamics of the social interplay at home, in the community, or in my office, what is the role I tend to gravitate towards? Mm -hmm. What is it that people project onto me? What am I projecting out? So we become conscious of, of being part of the dynamics of conflict. And there's a lot of work in that. I outline some of it in my book, Cultivating Peace. Mm-hmm. Then there's another layer that we would call the field layer. You know, what Bert Hallinger has done in Constellation Therapy, you were born into a field, yes. a deep field. And so part of your work is not only to see what kind of roles can I play that may be more constructive in the social order and the familial context, but what are the dynamics I've inherited? What are, what are the neural pathways that have been conditioning me? What is my the state of my energy body? How do I process aggression? Where do I trigger? in deep self-analysis. And what we know now in this time of the great conjunction of psychology, spirituality, and science mm-hmm. is that one can help clear that field. One can go back into the past. One can't change the past, but one can so radically change one's relationship to the past mm-hmm. that one... And in fact, changes the future by changing our relationship to the past. And then there's an even deeper layer, isn't there, Joanna? Mm. And that's the soul work, the karmic work. What is the deep soul's purpose of my life? What is my gift to give? What is the nature of my karmic inheritance? And the work around that. So. All of these things affect how we live conflict and make peace in the world. And I you know, invite people really to, to kind of work through those layers so that they see always a question of our changing our relationship to the universe around us so that we become more embodied, less triggered, less reactive, more able to venture courageously into the depth of the story. One thing you will not find in my discourse is that, uh, let's call it new age, uh-huh. sense of you, you build a positive reality simply by affirmation and putting your energy into the positive. I'm close to that, but decidedly different, as I think. Mm-hmm. You must look at the negative. 
must not turn away. The turning away is in fact delaying the deep embodied response that is needed. Because we need to understand the depth of the suffering. We need to understand the roots of the distortion. Maybe that's a Buddhist approach, but we certainly need to face those distortions and understand how they operate, as you said, both in the social order and in ourselves. And then we put our energy into creating something that's different. So it's the witnessing that needs to continue to happen in the world. We need to witness in a full, full, intense way the breakdown and then put our energy into the breakthrough. Hmm. James Hoodie, I want to ask you about energy and Aikido. In um, your last blog, you talk about um, going to uh, Kogi Village in Colombia and uh, the... Um, the, so to speak, cleaning of energy before entering the village. And so if you would speak to us about energy. Yes. Um, some of the spiritual philosophies would say there are two things happening in the universe. There is pure witnessing consciousness and there is energy arising. And the energy, the, the task and the destiny of the energy is to arise through consciousness, becoming going, going from gross and raw to very subtle and more subtle and more refined. And the whole story of our development is where the energy gets caught in states of consciousness say, you know, push away, pull back, draw towards, hold on to, release. We're always doing something, even in very subtle psychological ways, we're always doing something with energy. And so this is a time when we can really, because we're, we're in a time when we're looking at spirituality activism, action, transformation of conflict. We look at how our consciousness engages energy. So we're looking at, we're able to look at our energy body in a way as never before, mm-hmm. helped by neuroscience, helped by heart science, helped by our understanding of fields, So when you enter a room or you enter a dynamic, Mm. you have a field that moves with you. And that field is constantly oscillating and vibrating and reacting and responding to what the dynamics around you are. And so I think the Kogi are the planet's really great energy masters. 
like to ask you about contempt. I saw that you mentioned contempt and um, I think it's a very um, important word and feeling in uh, the um, application of violence or peace both within oneself and with the greater community. Out that says, What can I 
can I send away from me that is so extreme it'll never come back to me? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of inner energetic process that's going on. So contempt is like that. Like if I have contempt for the other, whatever form the other takes, then um, this energy will never come back at me. Of course, we know that energy in the universe never goes away. (laughs) It's always waiting for that purification process, for that transmutation process. Eventually, we will come back to the sender and say, you have to deal with this, you have to refine and develop. That's why I said earlier, I think the evolutionary journey is a journey of knowledge, a journey into knowledge. In Sufism, as you know, Mevlana Jalaluddin Rumi mm. is the poet of love. He's called the pole, the pole like the North Pole, the pole of love. Muhyiddin Ibn al-Arabi is considered the pole of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And Ibn al-Arabi says, most people don't read Ibn al-Arabi because he's too difficult. But he says, at the level of being, we are all one. At the level of being, we are all one. There is no lesser being on the face of the earth. So you cannot possibly have contempt. It's, it's against the cosmic order. But we are not all, we're all one at the level of being. But we're not all one at the level of knowing. And we, all, we don't know all the same thing. And we, we can be guided in knowledge. We can grow in knowledge. We can have teachers and masters and way showers. We love them and adore them and are grateful to those who have the knowledge to see how we may move through a world that has far too much contempt. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember nine years ago when I met you and uh, you told uh, a story about being in Lebanon and uh, in the in the rubble of um, of bombing and uh, this man was sitting in the rubble of his house and uh, in a gesture of that word I know in Arabic, etfaddal, I want to give you, he invited you to have a cup of tea. And that touched me so much that in a moment, it were, the way I heard it was that someone in a moment of total loss uh, was offering hospitality. So it takes me to asking you, after talking about contempt, guide us in your understanding of how we can practice kindness and hospitality with each other. What a great memory you have. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually coffee. <laughs> it was coffee. It was Turkish coffee, maybe. Yes, that flicking of the wrist is the 
coffee boils up and then you let it settle. And it was in that movement and that generosity of the spirit that I, you know, I'd been in Beirut some some weeks before. There had been the massacres at the Sabra Shatila camp, mm-hmm. where the men had been sent to Tunis. There were no younger men or fathers around. There were grandfathers, grandparents, women and children. And they slaughtered them all in the streets, out there around the dinner table, under their bed. And it was a very devastating low point for me. I thought humanity is just impossibly cruel, and the story is too dark. And it was really, thank you for reminding me of that story. It was really in that witnessing of this being, seeing the indomitable spirit speaking through. And I think that's part of the story. When we can see the spiritual reality, the full reality, we turn to take off our one and two dimensional seeing and really see the whole the whole being. It, it, it leads us to a state of compassion and openness. And certainly for me, that, that was the beginning of my climbing out of a very dark and difficult place. And so I think it is that sense of we each have gifts, and that can sound so trivial, like it's not really that trivial at all. Because we, we have gifts in our karmic equation that we must deliver. We have an identity that's deep and true. And so I think the way to generosity with others is to be listening deeply. I always remind people that listening is a very, very active thing to do. It creates a field. You can even change another person's blood chemistry. It's very potent. And you listen to that intuitive knowing for their gift, for their, for their deep core. Mm-hmm. That's what we do for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, even when we're very young, we're so grateful to those who see us, who see us deeply, and who say, you can't hide from me. They give us the gift of our own presence. We're, we think we're solitary beings, but we're anything but solitary beings. We're completely mutual and collective. So the way to that ripening of our oneness is to call each other forth, is to say, I see you, and I see you deeply. I see how beautifully you attend to your children. I see how nobly you fight for for what is right and act your conscience. Whatever it is, it's that way of calling forth the gift. You uh, have written that listening is a tactical, surgical tool. And do you mean by that for reaching each other's hearts? Yes. 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 Yes
I mean, yes, for reaching each other's hearts and for transforming each other and for tapping into the intuitive realm and for tapping into that deeply subtle place where the universe is able to synergize and synchronize so much more than our linear development. I, I often tell people many, many stories about listening, but one is a story about being at a... I was invited by a Jewish congregation mm-hmm. to their synagogue outside of Washington, D.C., and it wasn't to discuss Israel. It was when I was Amnesty International. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to discuss the death penalty. Because Amnesty had a big report on the death penalty. I gave my lecture and there were many questions. And then I noticed a very old lady standing up. And as she stood up, I saw on her arm the imprints, the numbers from the Holocaust. I knew that she was a Holocaust survivor. And she was a little agitated. And she said, you know, I wouldn't have execution or the death penalty for minority, for for young people, sorry, for, for young people. Why do we think of, you know, trying young people as adults? They're only learning. So I wouldn't have the death penalty for them. But for the murderers, and particularly the murderers like genocidal Nazi murderers, I would personally take their necks and I would break their necks. And she made this gesture like she was, you know, doing the neck of a chicken or something. And she was really in deep, deep emotional turmoil, you know, thinking of her Nazi persecutors. And what I did was I didn't respond immediately. I went into silence, and I went into listening. And I was listening beyond the words, Joanna, because we can do that in a prosthetic way. We can really listen into the other person's energy field. And I listened into her deep heart's core, into her being. You could have heard a pin drop in the room. It was just this silence as I listened. And then I said to her, No, you wouldn't. You're such a beautiful human being. You wouldn't harm a fly. (laughs) And I caught her. I caught, you know, who she was. And she made this gesture with her hand, like, oh, don't be silly. <laughs> like, I was a young man courting her, you know. Yeah. Oh, stop that, stop that. And she said, <laughs> everybody in the room laughed with relief <laughs> because I had done the one thing that the Nazis never did. I had seen her beauty, and I had called it out, and I had named her, you're a beautiful being. That's listening in a transformational way. That's such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Real reality story. So 
that leads me to um, asking you about narratives, deconstructing the false narrative and how to create new narratives for a more beautiful world, a less violent world.
get at that false narrative, you have to ask, what is the shadow? Mm. And what is the shadow in the United States in its own journey towards liberation and trying to you know, be the defender of human rights in various contexts and then having tortured people, having sent arms and equipment that, you know, is part of the problem around the world, that U.S. arms get into so many hands. So that deconstructing of the narrative is not just an intellectual, let's sort it out kind of equation. Mm -hmm. It's really that spiritual and emotional and moral sorting it out. You have to get into the psychological and emotional body to see where you're really blocking the shadow from being seen. And it's those who do the shadow work, who go, you know, who look into the shadow, look at the nature of the shadow. Those are the ones who are able to stop the old story from being transmitted from generation to generation and who form the new narrative. They're able to, to accept responsibility in a way that moves the story forward. And response, universal responsibility is where we're headed, where each one of us takes responsibility. The new story so beautifully articulated in the Earth Charter, wonderful document, we have the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, yeah. powerful document, and we have the Earth Charter, a visionary and powerful document that talks about both rights and responsibilities, the growing up, the evolution of each mind, each heart, yeah. each being to take on the responsibility for the whole. Take each being taking on the responsibility for the whole. What a beautiful prayer. So you say a shift in consciousness is changing the world for the better. If um, you would speak about that.
passion game. So, you know, there was the Compassionate Cities program, Peaceful Cities program, and then when those movies came out about teenagers hunting each other down and killing each other, referred to as the Hunger Games, someone came up with the idea of let's do better than that, let's create a compassion game. Mm. And the city of Louisville challenged the city of Seattle and said, you know what, we're more compassionate than you. And the city of Seattle said, okay, game on. And so they call it co-opetition, healthy, healthy challenge to each other. Now there are hundreds of cities and in many countries joining the Compassion Games, saying we take care of our poor, we take care of our children, we do the restorative justice, we, all of these elements that they list and hold up and say, let the games begin for a planet of peace. Let's show each other just how compassionate we can be. And so I love the fact that there really is so much going. It doesn't tend to make the mainstream media, but social media is filling up with all this kind of activity, where, again, individual people see their power to enact, to affect change, to participate. And so I... I really hold up all those efforts, and they are emblematic of a movement in consciousness itself, a gravitational pull towards love itself. We can talk about that, you know, Meher Baba, the avatar Meher Baba, says love is in no way susceptible to any kind of force or domination. It is the force in the universe that cannot be dominated, that cannot be pushed around, that cannot be, you know, made, mm-hmm. but made you know, to happen by force. But because it can't be forced, it spreads freely from heart to heart. And Mirabala says, you know, planetary civilization, the new humanity will awake this spreading of the power of love from individual to individual. And it's, it's an unconditional love. It's, a, it's just a state of being that one reaches where love itself is indeed the answer. And the answer, not in a kind of sentimentalist, la-la way, but in an answer that says, here's the creative evidence for a new world. Here's the inner work. Here's the alliance between science, spirituality, and activism. This is love and action. This is saying, I don't need enemies. I'm, as, as Mahatma Gandhi said, I don't have enemies. I simply have some friends who need help. <laughs> so... I think that shift in consciousness seems to have to go through stages. 
I think that for me is my discussion with God. You know, it is, dear God, why do you make it so difficult? Why do we apparently need to go through stages where we grab the truth and we push it in, the, in others' faces or ram, down, ram it down their throats until we find the truth that's not the truth? Truth is shared in a very beautiful way. Maybe I'm saying too much here, but no way. I I once thank you from the middle of my heart for your presence um, with us this morning, and. Um, and I, I will ask you, would you like to say a few words in closing, James? Um, I would like to say I'm very excited about my next book, The Conscious Activist. So at the end of the year, people should look for that. It's really the most inspired thing I've written. And it's a book about activism and mysticism. I truly believe we're at the dawn of a time when we can take transformational activism without objectifying the others, without creating energy, without putting all of our energy into problems. And we can put our witnessing into the problems and our energy into the solutions. And I invite people to go to my website, jamesod.com, to find out more and to live the journey together. Thank you, Joanna, for your deep and spacious presence and listening mm. and for your wonderful work. I'm, I'm speechless, which is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>